This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau paid a visit to fire-ravaged regions in the Okanagan and more residents of Kelowna, West Kelowna and surrounding communities are returning home. Kamal Kuramali joins us live from Kelowna where some residents are finding dramatic evidence of how close they came to losing everything. Kamal? Some came close to losing everything and some, Chris, lost it all, like the owners of, well, what's left of what was a home uh, behind me here. All you can see here is charred rubble and ash, what appears to be a deck railing, some roof tiles just strewn across here. Uh, what looks to be a washer and dryer as well, burnt out. You can also see a burnt out vehicle in the back there. Uh, reminders of the families that once lived here, but some were luckier than others as they came home to find the fires. Just got a few meters from their homes, but their houses were spared. I mean, being honest with you, I thought, you know, these properties are gone. That's how close the fire was. When Laddie Saintrick was forced to leave his Kelowna home last week, he had no idea if it would still be standing when he returned. Coming back Thursday night to find the wildfire had come just a few meters from destroying his entire home. It's just... Almost tears in our eyes, just based on, you know, okay, the house is still there. Nobody got hurt. All the neighbors are fine. So uh, it was just... A very emotional. An emotional night for the Whitemans, learning the fire made its way into their backyard but spared their home. It was absolutely crazy. Like, we got home and we knew it got close, but like, there's burnt trees that fell into our yard and like, our whole like backyard, which is usually full of trees and you know, beautiful landscape is black, which is insane. Thursday night, the evacuation was rescinded for a large area in Kelowna, allowing about 1,600 residents to return home. But a swath of lake country north of Kelowna remains on evacuation order. The good news, though, is the fires here have been held. It's the McDougal Creek wildfire that remains out of control, leaving many neighborhoods in West Kelowna still under an evacuation order. A fire we haven't seen too much growth on activity-wise in the last couple of days. But not everyone in Kelowna left unscathed. Piles of ash where homes once stood. Kitchen appliances and cars burnt out. An eerie shadow of the lives of the families that once lived here. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in West Kelowna Friday touring some of the hardest hit areas. Uh, insurance is going to get more difficult. Uh, for people to obtain, even uh, for those who can obtain it. And we know that that falls on uh, all of us uh, to be there for help. But insurance and afterthought for those who, for now, just feel lucky to be alive. It's been a one week from hell, but with a beautiful ending. 
and some good news in that firefight in West Kelowna, Chris, as we have now heard today that about 800 homes have had that evacuation order rescinded, but that still leaves more than 1,800 properties under that evacuation order. Back over to you. All right, thanks very much, Kamal. Reporting from Kelowna tonight, that's Kamal Kuramali. Now, a section of highway in the Shushwap has reopened for the first time since the wildfire roared in a week ago. It's welcome news, but as Travis Prasad reports, the regional district also delivered a sobering first count of how many homes were destroyed by fire there. We're packing up the pylons. It looks like a mundane task, but don't underestimate its significance. After a week-long closure, the 20-kilometer stretch of Highway 1 between Chase and Sorrento reopened Friday, a big win for the region. It is travel through only. You're not able to stop along the way or take any of the turns off of there. It's meant for travel through because, of course, the evacuation order remains in place. Burnt-out vehicles and brush show just how close the flames got to the highway. And for the first time, officials are now quantifying the destruction caused by the Bush Creek East wildfire. 131 is the number of total structures lost due to this wildfire. Partial structure damage, 37 structures. With some areas still too dangerous to assess, those numbers are likely to change. Officials also out with a more encouraging stat. To the best of our knowledge at this time, there has been no lives lost as a result of this wildfire. Uh, so we're all very grateful. An estimated 300 people defied evacuation orders in the area, including Jay Simpson. He says those who stayed behind did so for the sole purpose of saving homes. We were so busy just trying to save things and, and put up fire guards and put water on hot spots and do all kinds of things that we didn't really have a chance to think about much. Simpson says residents are now working collaboratively with the BC Wildfire Service and some of them are now being trained up to the agency's standards. After this weekend, we should have probably maybe another 40 or 50 people that can work directly with BC Wildfires and uh, help help out with the process. Back at Highway 1, removing this sign is a sure sign of progress. In a taxing wildfire fight, that's about to heat up. We know it's going to be hot and dry uh, through the week, though, and we will see fire activity increasing. Travis Prasad, Global News. And tonight, Squilux Band members are sharing an amazing story of survival as the Bush Creek East fire roared towards them last week. The speed and ferocity of the wildfire was like nothing they'd ever seen. Catherine Urquhart has the incredible video and how the chief accepted the fact that night might be his last. As the inferno quickly advanced, Leo Toma fled for his life, taking this video during those harrowing moments. Then my son just came down and said, uh, the mountain's starting to burn, so get out of here. So it so I ran up to the store and jumped in my car and took off. Thomas says he had only about an hour to gather a few things. Then the wind changed, came so fast, we had to get out of there right now. His house at Squalax, previously known as Little Shushwap Lake Band, burned to the ground. A place full of memories where he had lived most of his life. Just watching my house burn, that was bad now. And I didn't know how, because I thought I was safe. 
and there were many others who barely escaped alive, including the band's Kukpi, who says the embers were showering down on them. I got my wife out uh, seconds. Things are falling all around us. We didn't even have time to get to our vehicles. We had to run to the river. After being rescued from under a bridge where he was sheltering from the firestorm, he watched flames devouring homes, among them his own. Brothers and sisters, their homes were gone. Me and my wife, we lost everything. At last count, 31 houses were lost. The band's office, fire hall and infrastructure survived. For Leo Toma, the future is now uncertain. He has friends and family offering to help. I got a couple of places I can stay, so I'm fine for now. Along with others here, he is grateful to be alive, but still processing what happened, shocked after having lost so much so quickly. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And as you saw in one of our earlier reports, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau toured West Kelowna today, but some are questioning why he didn't visit other wildfire-ravaged regions of our province, including the Shushwap. For more on that, we'll bring in our Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, how did the Prime Minister respond to some of these questions? Yeah, again, he's visiting an area not traditionally very friendly to his party or himself or the Trudeau name. Uh, he did, as you mentioned, tour West Kelowna. When asked about shoe swap, though, he said, look, uh, his minister's been up there for several days, Harjit Sen, the Sajin, the um, uh, emergency preparedness minister, and also he, he says he can't be everywhere all at once. And he also made it clear, though, in this sort of ongoing controversy between local residents and wildfire and police officials who want that evacuation order enforced, he's firmly on the side of the people trying to enforce the order. Here's the Prime Minister. Obviously, there, we have seen uh, terrible fires right across the country, and uh, I've tried to get to as many places as possible. And it's also extremely important that we not uh, interfere with ongoing uh, exercises, ongoing, uh, ongoing work. Uh, I'm here today, but I know uh, Minister Sajjan, our Minister of Emergency Preparedness, who uh, stayed home in B.C. while we were having our cabinet retreat earlier this week so that he could uh, lead on the, on the uh, emergency response, uh, is closely engaged. Look, people are scared, uh, and there's lots of reasons to be scared. As uh, we see fires approach, as we see uh, homes under threat, as we see communities uh, impacted, uh, what we're seeing across the country is first responders stepping up in incredible ways. Now, no one, including Mr. Trudeau, likes to talk about the S word, which is security. I think that was a big part of the reason why he didn't go to the shoe swap, Chris. I'm sure his security detail uh, made it clear they wanted him nowhere near these people. There's, the people had that confrontation with the RCMP, calling themselves things like the Freedom Convoy and such. That's exactly the type of crowd that has clashed with Mr. Trudeau back east on a number of occasions. So no surprise, he did not visit the shoe swap. Would have been a lot of tension had he done so. All right, thanks, so. For, yeah, thanks very much for that, Keith. Metro Vancouver has issued an air quality advisory because of all the smoke. It's another hazy day across the region. Anyone with underlying conditions like asthma, COPD and other lung diseases, it's recommended you stay indoors. Same thing for pregnant women, infants and young children and older adults. The air quality isn't expected to improve in the next 24 hours either, according to the regional district. A family of four is safe after a major fire destroyed their home in North Surrey early this morning. They've lived there for more than 40 years and fear they've lost everything. Janet Brown reports. That was my son's bedroom up top. For homeowner Janice Lozon, 
it is difficult to look at the damage. After fire tore through her house in Bridgeview on 115th Avenue near 125A Street. I was pretty well right there when it started. I smelt it. She thinks the fire got going because of an electrical heater in one of the bedrooms under renovation. We were trying to get the garden hose in, but it was inflamed very fast. Neighbors swung into action, calling 911 as soon as they saw the smoke and flames. So I kept on watching it and watching it, and I can see the flame. There's no siren I can hear. And I said, you better phone 911. As soon as I was calling the fire department and the ambulance, it just went up in smoke really fast. So, of course, I ran Grab back inside, kids. grabbed my kids, and then I have a bedridden mother-in-law downstairs. All four residents of the house made it out safely with no injuries, and firefighters were able to prevent flames from spreading to nearby homes and gardens. It was pesky. It had extended to a second shed around back and to the trees to the backside of the house that had involvement on all the shrubs. And now that the flames are out, what's going through your mind? I don't know what to do next. It's such a loss. Neighbors are rallying to help the burned out family who have been left with nothing while they find a place to stay and try to get back on their feet. We have some space yeah. downstairs. We're going to set something up for them. Yeah, we'll get you all situated and anything you need. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> This is the sixth home destroyed by fire in Surrey in recent weeks. Janet Brown, Global News. Disappointed park users told to pack and stay away. How Joffrey Lakes ended up off limits for a lot of users hoping to visit on the weekend. With questions about how the closure could have been handled differently. That's later on the News Hour. Away from the front door. Car owners shocked to see a bear in the driver's seat. How this all ended later on the news hour. Plus, the sailboat that got stuck under the Camby Street Bridge. That's also later. Right now, though, more emotional testimony today from the mother of a murdered Burnaby teenager. She is testifying at the trial of the man charged with the killing. As Romina Dea reports, the mother was cross-examined today by the defense. The teen's mother in tears as she told the jury the moment police told her her daughter's body had been discovered in Burnaby Central Park in the early morning hours of July 19, 2017. It was the darkest day for me, she said. I know how painful it is. My heart was bleeding. Before commencing cross-examination, defense counsel apologized to the witness for her loss, adding he's got many difficult questions. Kevin McCullough asked if she ever had any discussions with her daughter about sleeping in the park. And was she aware her kid would go there frequently a year leading up to her death? Mom said she did not think so. McCullough suggesting the teen was a troubled kid who was not talking to her mother very much and not listening. Mom disagreed. Defense asked, wasn't it the case the teen was not stable, not rational? Mom said she didn't understand. So why is this important? Defense has yet to explain to the jury why Ibrahim Ali should be found not guilty of first-degree murder. That will come later in the trial. Crown counsel's theory, Ali attacked the teen on a trail, dragged her into the forest, and strangled her while sexually assaulting her. Ali's DNA found inside the girl, said Crown in its opening address to the jury four months ago. 
adding that this was a random attack. Ali and the teen did not know each other. Cross-examination of the girl's mother will continue Monday. Romina Dea, Global News. A 10-year-old child suffered serious injuries after being hit by two vehicles while cycling on Thursday afternoon in Nanaimo. After speaking with witnesses and checking dash cam footage, officers say it appears the youth was riding his bike down a steep driveway when he rode out onto Howard Avenue and was struck by a car traveling southbound. He was then hit by another vehicle passing by northbound. Both drivers remained on the scene and are cooperating with investigators. The child was airlifted to hospital with potentially life-threatening injuries. The child was not wearing a helmet. It's really sad, it's unfortunate, but it's also really not a surprise. We see it happen, not kids getting smoked by cars, but kids not wearing helmets or having any supervision, no signs. It's a terrible situation, especially for the bystanders who are forced into a medical aid situation. Our first responders, again, we deal with it all the time, but still, we all have children. We know the impact it has on people. It's a very emotional scene. Police say speed, alcohol, and drugs do not appear to be factors in the incident. Just ahead, BC film workers fight back. Why should you see no profits from a successful show? The deep local impact of the ongoing writer's strike in the U.S. Plus, Victoria's police chief witnesses a shocking example of carelessness writing the ticket himself. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Traffic is steady east and west across the Portman Bridge, but there's a problem back in Burnaby on Highway 1 causing delays in both directions near Kensington. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $28 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Highway 4 is on track to fully reopen before the Labor Day long weekend, but, and there's a big but, crews will have to close the highway for another full day before that can happen. The highway near Port Alberni will be closed from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Tuesday. The province says that allows crews to finish up work on Angel Bluff, an area they describe as challenging. Highway 4 was closed for the entire day on Thursday, during which boulders were removed and 700 meters of roadside barrier was added. Aside from Tuesday's closure, there will be two daily closures until work is complete. That's from 9 to 11.30 a.m. and 1.30 to 5 p.m. There are some growing questions and confusion over an unprecedented move by the B.C. government to shut down one of the province's most popular parks, on behalf of two First Nations. As Paul Johnson reports, the move has caught many visitors to Joffrey Provincial Park by surprise. Yeah, the, the access to, to Joffrey Park is currently restricted to respect the nation's wishes. This is what Ricky and his friend from Nagoya, Japan, encountered when they arrived at Joffrey Lakes Park Friday. Inspired by TikTok videos showcasing its azure blue waters, they didn't know the province had closed the park to tourists with almost no notice. Yeah, I'm so excited. 
I can't wear it this way, this day. You'd be forgiven if you confused this lot with one of the United Nations. Absent the stunning closure, the wide mix of visitors would make any tourism authority proud. It was a friend of mine, uh, also from Germany. I uh, met him in Costa Rica last year on a travel, and he told me uh, I have to come here. It was the uh, most beautiful lake in the, in the region here. So this is the parking lot in Joffrey Lakes Park. This is as far as you can go today. People who've been arriving are being stopped by the provincial park rangers who are explaining to them that you can't go into the park right now unless you're First Nations. They're giving them tips about places nearby where they can go hiking instead. The province closed the park on behalf of the Lilwat and the Kwatkwat First Nations, who said they're asserting their title and rights to unceded territory and want the park closed until September 30th to harvest and gather resources. Late Friday, Environment Minister George Heyman said his ministry is in active conversations with the First Nations to resolve the matter, that the park will be closed at least through September 1st and refunds will be made to those who made reservations. Ellis Ross of the BC United Party says this is an example of the NDP's mismanagement of First Nations issues. So I think it's a lot of First Nations are going to see this and it won't be necessarily provincial parks that will shut down. It'll be something else. It'll be something that they're frustrated with because there's no movement on their file from this provincial government. As for the tourists, many of whom had spent hours driving, some were angry, but most just disappointed and baffled. Unfortunately, a long way to here, but that's how it is, right? <laughs> At Joffrey Lakes, Paul Johnson, Global News. Members of Hollywood North Unions gathered in Vancouver today to show support for those affected by the ongoing writers and actors strikes in the U.S. Union! 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 The television and film industries in British Columbia typically bring in about $3.5 billion a year. Many productions, though, have come to a standstill after the Writers Guild of America went on strike in May, followed by the Screen Actors Guild after members in July. The main issues are sharing revenue from streaming content, fair working conditions, and more policies around artificial intelligence. A sailboat in Vancouver is navigating some rough water on False Creek, stuck for several hours under the Camby Bridge. Take a look, the mast of the sailboat appeared to get stuck halfway through sailing underneath the bridge with videos of it spreading online soon after being stranded. The Coast Guard, along with the BPD Marine Unit, both attended the scene trying to help, but it will likely take waiting until low tide, which is about 7.40 this evening, to get the boat unstuck. So far, the Coast Guard or VPD aren't providing any more information. Just ahead, a new respect for a common medication. A new study confirms the benefits to heart health from aspirin. But first, in the middle of a record wildfire season, Victoria's police chief spots behavior that's pretty hard to believe. Traffic is moving well both ways at the Patello Ridge right now. It's slow around the north end, though, for some ongoing construction and resulting lane closures. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A Victoria driver probably wishes he didn't toss his cigarette butt out the window. Victoria's police chief 
was right beside him and watched it land on the dry grass of the median. The driver, who was in the 2200 block of Quadra Street, demanded to speak to his supervisor. He was informed by another officer that it was in fact the chief of police who was writing the ticket. The man received a fine of $575 under the Wildfire Act. Discard those butts responsibly. The Premier of the Northwest Territories, Carolyn Cochran, joined her Alberta counterpart, Danielle Smith, to tour a Calgary reception center for wildfire evacuees this morning. Thousands of people from Yellowknife have been forced from their homes by wildfire, with almost 22,000 seeking refuge in Alberta. Others are in B.C. and Manitoba. Cochran says she's angry, claiming the region doesn't have the same services as the South, and she's calling on Ottawa to do more and thanked Albertans for their support. I don't know how long this evacuation is going to take place. I know it's still very high risk in the north, um, but I, I can't say how much. Uh, my family is from Alberta. My mother's family is from Paddle Prairie, a Métis settlement, um, and I've always had an attachment. But now with what the Albertans have done for our people, I am eternally uh, grateful. Alberta's health care system accommodated a number of patients requiring acute care and dialysis patients. The province has also temporarily taken in 85 inmates. B.C. accepted some patients as well. Now, as wildfires ravage parts of this country, homeowners and insurance companies are tallying up the enormous price tag, likely into the billions. Climate change is spurring disaster after disaster, fires, floods and tornadoes. The cleanup is costing Canadians more every year and premiums are going up. There are now concerns insurance companies may one day pull out of some areas altogether. Taria Isri reports. Wildfires, tornadoes, flooding. This summer has been extreme, expensive and exhausting. Oh my God, a tornado just hit our house. Canadians across the country are spending hours dealing with insurance companies. Everything's a write-off, but they told us it'll probably be months before everything's addressed. A torrential downpour hit Ottawa this month. Christine Fagan lost her car. Insurance has been doing what they can, I guess. They're really slammed. They're getting more slammed every year. In 2010, Canadian insurance companies saw losses of $632 million annually. Now, that number is more than three times higher. Last year, losses totaled almost $3.5 billion. And 2023 is on track to be even costlier. Well, insurers price risk, and Canada is definitely becoming a riskier place. Insurance premiums rose between 5 and 15 percent this year, with some of the biggest increases in Alberta and B.C. For homeowners who have filed repeated claims... How many times have you been flooded on this street? At least five. There are fears they could be dropped altogether. Good, good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm recently pulled out of California because of the relentless wildfires. For now, Canadian risk management experts doubt that will happen here. I think there are a lot of actions being taken to try to ensure we don't get there, but I, I think it is a long-term concern. Researchers say insurance is only one part of the puzzle. Homes in Canada need to become more resilient to the effects of climate change, and that means changing the way they're built. The system's a little slow in Canada. 
Glenn McGillivray manages the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction. He wants to see more incentives for builders to flood and fireproof homes. There's already a huge shortage of homes. We can't afford to be taking hundreds and sometimes thousands of homes offline each year due to hazards. Hazards in a climate crisis that's also creating a financial one. Taria Isri, Global News, Ottawa. A new U.S. study suggests taking aspirin daily can lower the risk of subsequent heart attack or stroke. But as Alexia Kapralos reports, despite aspirin's low cost, many around the world don't use it like they should. An aspirin a day could keep a second heart attack or stroke away. That's what a study by Washington University School of Medicine and University of Michigan confirms. We believe for those who've already had a heart attack or an ischemic stroke, um, um, are already at a greater risk for having a recurrent vascular event. The study's first author, Dr. Kyle Yu, says aspirin thins blood to prevent it from clotting. Despite the risk of bleeding that we always worry about aspirin, for many people, aspirin may provide greater benefits. Researchers analyzed data from nationally represented health surveys among 51 low, middle, and high-income countries. They found despite aspirin's benefits and low cost, only 16.6% of people who've experienced a first heart attack or stroke in low-income countries subsequently use the medication for prevention. In lower-middle-income countries, that figure sits at 24.5%. In upper-middle-income countries, it's 51.1%. And in high-income countries, like the U.S., it's 65%. We know that not cardiovascular disease burden has devastating outcomes on not only at the healthcare systems level, but also at the economies of these nations. But even in North America, where buying aspirin is as easy as walking into your local pharmacy, Dr. Mohamed Kadra says patients don't know of the benefits. Us as physicians, we're failing our patients in properly educating them about that benefits of aspirin. So I do spend a huge chunk of my time on counseling my, my patients. Of the cost barrier, he says nearly a year's supply of aspirin costs the equivalent to a pack or a pack and a half of cigarettes. Even though the relationship with heart health and aspirin has been studied as far back as the 1970s, this study points to gaps in awareness. Our study suggests that we have a lot of reflection to do and a lot of room to improve um, from prior studies. While aspirin has proven benefits, researchers note it's important to talk to your healthcare provider before starting any course of medication. Alexia Kapralos, Global News. The World Health Organization is urging countries to once again step up surveillance of COVID-19. Cases are increasing in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but the virus right now is reinfecting a large number of individuals, millions of people each week. We are seeing a number of countries, primarily in Europe, but this has to do with reporting, that are seeing increases in hospitalization in the last month. Um, and this is the Northern Hemisphere temperate regions where we're in our summer period. And that is not expected if you are thinking of a respiratory pathogen like influenza that typically has peaks in the winter months. Dr. Maria Van Kerkhoff says the increase in COVID-19 cases is concerning because it comes at a time when countries are dealing with other pressing issues, including health implications from wildfires and extreme heat. The WHO is asking countries to more closely monitor cases so it can better assess risks from variants. Up ahead, a bear behind the wheel. She came running out. Mom, there's a bear. A Gold River family surprised by the intruder and what it got away with. Plus, coming up in sports, BC's Kelly Olenek 
has a great game for Canada at the Basketball World Cup and we'll check in at the LPGA's Canadian Championship here in Vancouver as well and see who's on the leaderboard. A short but very powerful storm blew through Winnipeg Thursday night, hammering the area with heavy rain and in some cases golf ball sized hail. The intense weather and winds downed trees, broke windows and scattered debris all across neighborhoods, mostly in the northeastern parts of the city. One auto dealership says more than 200 vehicles on their property were damaged by the intense hail. Most of the city remained untouched by the storm, but those that were hit were hit hard. That's what can happen with some of those summer storms. Not quite as intense rainfall in this area. We'll bring in Steph Florian now with the latest on our weather. Steph? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, we did see some passing showers sneak across the border today, as you can see. So we saw some of this uh, this rain pass through, thankfully short-lived as well, and we are expecting this ridge to build in, but certainly helping the smoky situation that is on deck right now. We have air qualities in place right now for Metro Vancouver, sitting at 19 degrees. And as you can see from the camera, it is still very hazy out there, but we didn't quite hit that daytime high of 23 today, only made it to 21. So the smoke, the showers that came through, definitely keeping those daytime highs a little bit further down than they were supposed to be. So here's a look at the air quality right now for Metro Vancouver. Most of the area were in that orange and yellow zone, which is moderate. Southwest sections of Metro Vancouver are in the blue, which is on the lower end, but they are still in place. This ridge is building. We're going to be seeing clear, hot conditions, hazy skies. And then Monday, Vancouver Island's southern end of that uh, is Victoria area is going to see those showers first. And we are expecting the system to be pushing and lasting Tuesday into Wednesday and we'll see a drop in temperatures as well. So really it's all about the smoke. It's varying degrees of this widespread smoke. Some of it localized. Temperatures are about 5 to 10 degrees above seasonal. So a very warm day Saturday and Sunday expected before we drop significantly into the day on Monday with those showers pushing in. So let's look at this epic photo from this morning sunrise over Victoria of the hazy day there and that was taken from Glenn's fishing boat. How about that? All right. Hope oh, fishing was good for Glenn. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks very much, Steph. We'll bring Barry Lay in right now. He's in for Squire and a varied sports cast coming up. Mm -hmm. Got a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, there are high hopes for Canada's men at the uh, FIBA Basketball World Cup, and they got off to a very bright start in their opener today against France. Wide open. Gilchus Alexander for three. NBA All-Star Shea Gilgis-Alexander led the way in a resounding win over highly regarded France. We got highlights coming up. See Canada do well there and how these homeowners reacted when they spotted a bear in their van. news all the latest updates get it first good evening and thanks for joining us get it at 11 global news at 11 not sure Canada's ever had a better basketball team than we do right now no this is like uh, it reminds me a bit of the men's soccer team kind of 
growing and, and becoming a world-class team kind of right in front of our eyes. So, yeah, a lot of excitement if you're a round ball fan, which I know you are. You bet. Good evening, everyone. Canada does not have uh, all of its NBA stars at the FIBA Basketball World Cup, but they've got more than enough firepower to contend for the title. Shea Gilgis-Alexander played like a first-team NBA All-Star that he is today in Canada's impressive 95-65 dismantling of France, who are the defending Olympic silver medalists and the number five ranked team in the world. They're not chumps. That's a good team. Jordi Fernandez took over for coach uh, from Nick Nurse just a month ago, but he's uh, been in the NBA for a while and he's got this team playing some good ball. They had a slow start, but Kamloops Kelly Olenek was excellent keeping Canada close. Great off-balance shot. Kelly, 18 big points in the opener today. It took Canada most of the first half to settle in. Defense was the key. Shea Gilgis-Alexander forces the turnover, then finishes it off. 43-40 Canada at the half, but then Gilgis-Alexander took over. It was pretty to watch. Spin move and lays it in. Just getting started. He was feeling it. Nails the deep three-pointer here. Canada by 15. They outscored France 25-8 in the third quarter. And Gilgis Alexander kept coming. Another silky smooth drive to the hoop. 27 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists. Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort were demons on defense. And Brooks chipped in with 12 points and uh, plenty of swagger. After this great basket, Canada thrashes France 95-65. Very impressive. Next up, Lebanon, who they should beat easily Sunday morning, 2.45 a.m. our time. Second round of the LPGA's Canadian Open from Shaughnessy in Vancouver. Now, Brooke Henderson played early in the day and had a great round four under, but didn't get any TV time. Uh, puzzling enough on that. But anyway, Megan Kang had the low round of the day, 6 under 66. Brooke had the second best round at 4 under. So Kang leads at 7 under par. Brooke is tied 11th right now at 1 under. There's still a few players on the course, but great to see Brooke in contention this weekend at Shaughnessy. Second round of the Tour Championship from Atlanta, where it was hot, as just as Victor Hovland has been. He won the BMW last week, and he kept it going today. Gets the birdie to fall on 15, 6 under 64 today. He's the leader at 16 under, but he's got company up there. Colin Morikawa, fresh off that 9 under 61. He's also at 6 under. Nick Taylor, 3 under today, is now tied 21st, but 13 off the lead. The Whitecaps begin a grueling string of seven straight road games tomorrow night in Portland. The Timpers uh, just fired their coach, so expect their team to be, fi uh, to be fired up. The Caps are hoping they can use that energy at one of the great stadiums in MLS to get a big win. Providence Park is one of the loudest stadiums in the, in the league, and uh, it's also beautiful because it's one of the few stadiums where a lot of our fans travel and so making a result there in front of uh, hundreds of fans that uh, that can be there would be would be fantastic the canadian optimist sailing championships have been going on this week at the west vancouver yacht club this is the entry level for competitive sailing in our country featuring kids under 15 asa raymond has the story a young man setting sail on a mission to one day make it to the Olympics. I want to be out there representing Canada. That'd be just the dream. An ambitious goal for someone who's only three years into the sport. In 2020, obviously everything shut down, all the other sports, and sailing was one that kept running. So I started sailing uh, here at West Van Yacob, and from then on, I just kept sailing, really enjoyed it. 
Ross Pringle is a fast learner, and he knows he has to quickly climb the ranks to become one of the best in the country. This week's Opti National Championships at West Vancouver Yacht Club will give him the chance to do just that. It's called the Optimist Dinghy Class. It's for sailors under age of 15, and it's the biggest class, one design class in the world. So sailors sail this class all over the world, every country. Tina Moberg-Parker represented Canada at the 1996 Olympics. Now she's coaching the next generation, teaching them there's so much more to gain from the sport than winning. And it starts at this competition. This creates the foundation uh, for their fundamental skills. Everything from sail setup to equipment, every single factor you can think of, looking at the clouds, everything. So you have to be the most intelligent thinker. It also ignites that desire to inquire more about how to go faster, how to do things better. You have a lot of boats around you, and if they tack and they have right of way, you have to make a decision whether to dock them or to tack below them. But also that social network of, of friends that will become their training partners and become their community of support. More than 80 boats will be in the water for this year's Opti National Championships. Along with Tina's teachings, each competition provides its own set of lessons. Whether it's learning how to maneuver the boat or learning how to stay ahead of everyone, or even if it's just sportsmanship, being nice to other competitors and knowing when to be mean and turning on like your serious face. Luckily, the sea was not angry today, my friends. <laughs> That's right. They got to set sail. It, it, great to see so many young kids out there being independent and taking that on themselves. Oh. It can't be daunting. Being and out I was there. going to say, brave. The ocean frightens me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And come on, some more airtime for Brooke Henderson at the LPGA uh, coverage, I think it, right? Tomorrow it will. Yeah, I guess, again, we're at the mercy of what they show. But uh, she had the second best round of the day. Mm -hmm. She's from this country. She's won this tournament. Come on now. It's a no-brainer if it was right. up to us. Yes, I know. Thanks very much, right. Barry. Up next, the small Vancouver Island community that's had to become very bear-aware. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what they're working on for Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, a protest tonight over a plan to sell a piece of school land. The Vancouver School Board is eyeing the sale of the sports field at Graham Bruce Elementary in East Vancouver. Many parents and students and other community members are not happy with the plan. And they are staging a protest soccer tournament tonight on the field in question. We will have a full report tonight at 11. And what happened to an end driver accused of being impaired and going triple the speed limit? We'll have that story as well, Chris. It should be obvious, but I know it isn't. Thanks very much, Jordan. People living in a small Vancouver Island village seem to be spotting a lot more bears in town, and some of the encounters are getting a little too close for comfort. Kristen Robinson has more on a recent bear break-in and why officials are urging the public to report all bear activity. Get away from the front door. On August 19th, these Gold River residents discovered an intruder in their van. Mom, just now imagine me opening, yeah. opening the door. And yeah. I look to the right and there's a bear. She came running out. Mom, there's a bear. And um, so came running out, but we couldn't see um, through the um, tinted windows. A large black bear chilling in the back seat. Deborah Shorthouse and her daughter tried to scare it off before it jumped out the driver's side window and sauntered away. Well, what did it have in its mouth, Amber? I think peanut... It had a bag, and all it had in was peanut butter wrappers. 
Reese's peanut butter cup wrappers. That was my fault. The village home to just under 1,300 is in bear territory. The signs are everywhere. And this summer, locals say they're seeing more of the animals. There are probably three or four different ones here uh, wandering around town right now. Come on, you gotta go. You gotta go, bud. This one that was in our tree took a swipe at our dog and it had no fear of the dog being 10, five feet away from it. Go up that way. Yeah, go. Go on. My wife and I have encountered them probably seven or eight times uh, within the last three weeks. The military museum operator defending one outside his home. I looked up and uh, there was another black bear there about 20 feet away from me. So I simply turned around and walked the other way. You do stay clear of them as much as you can because you never know when one will turn. Residents are advised to pick their fruit so the trees don't attract bears. The Conservation Officer Service also says reporting all encounters could actually prevent bears from having to be killed if the problems can be addressed before the animals become habituated to people and food. They need to know I'm not oh my God. Shorthouse says she's learned her lesson. The black bear and her van, both unscathed. Nothing. Nothing. No, not at all. It smelled like bear for a couple of days. Kristen Robinson. Global News. That bear smell isn't always pleasant either. <laughs> yeah. I'll give him credit for hanging in and getting shots of the bears. Yeah. I mean, I'd be running the other way, that not was, rolling on them. Note that to was, take your snacks out of your car. <laughs> yeah, very good advice. Interesting fact about Gold River, it is very close to the geographical center of Vancouver Island, equidistant from the east and west coast and the north and south tips. <laughs> Last word on weather for you, Steph. It's going to be hot and hazy for the next two days, and then we're going to see a drop in temperatures and some showers pushing in. We've got rain into Tuesday and potentially into Wednesday through the overnight. Uh, we'll see a cloudy day on Wednesday. Pretty sure that's a welcome change for yeah, a lot exactly. of people. Yeah, eh? <laughs> exactly. We no, need it. No problems there. Okay, thanks very much, everyone. Hope you have a great weekend. Thanks very much for watching, and don't forget to tune in to Jordan and the crew tonight at 11.